But take your Bibles tonight, go to the book of Genesis if you would. I'm going to be in Genesis 45 in just a moment, but I want to give you just a little introduction and then we'll read the scripture in just a few moments. Genesis 45. And uh, while you're turning there, let me <clears throat> also say again how much I've enjoyed the music every night, the specials, the congregational singing. It has been a refreshment. I really have appreciated and enjoyed your music. Good to see all the specials and enjoyed the instrumental. Good to get to fellowship with the Custers. I've enjoyed that. That's been a blessing, a fine family, and I'm thankful for them. And what a blessing it's been just to have that as a really an extra treat uh, to the meeting. So thank you for that. Genesis 45, in just a moment I'll read, but I want to preach tonight for a few moments on the observations concerning a man named Joseph. Now, by way of introduction, you'll remember Joseph. He's a famous young man. I mentioned that some of my boys refer to my youngest son as Joseph. By that, they say he has the coat of many colors, that he's the favored son. We joke about that, but the reality is that, uh, that there is a real, real danger, and I'm not preaching about this tonight, but parents, you need to recognize that God makes every young person that he puts in your family unique and different. Don't just play favoritism to the, to the degree that uh, would cause your children to create unnecessary jealousy and, and, uh, and what a difficult time it was. But because of that, we see the treatment from his brethren. I won't go there, but Genesis 37, the Bible said in verse four, uh, 3, Now Israel, that it would be Jacob, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. I want to say this one more time. Family relationships are so important. Please don't get caught up in bitterness and anger and hatred between your own family. Someday you're going to realize if you live your life embittered and divided and angry at family, you've missed some great opportunities. You say, well, Brother Graham, all my family isn't saved. Then let your testimony reach them for Christ. When I was a boy growing up, we didn't go to family reunions because the family reunions were usually on Sunday and we were in church on Sunday. But we took a lot of criticism, a lot of flack, and a lot of negative statements were made. But one by one, our family members got saved and all of a sudden we get a call, hey, we're going to have family reunion, but it's going to be on Saturday because we've all got to get back and teach our Sunday school classes and be in our churches. And Man, what a blessing it was to see that, that transition come to the family. I remember going to a family reunion one day and a couple of my uncles and a cousin was standing there and they were having conversation and, and when I walked up they said, man, just the guy we're looking for. And I said, what did I do? They said, well, we were just talking about this verse of scripture and just wondered if you could give us some insight on it. And I thought, you know, I, I, I just began to weep because I remember a time when they would have talked about anything but the Word of God. And now they want to talk about the Bible. Listen, you need your family. You need to influence them for the cause of Christ. So uh, the treatment from his brethren was not good. The temptation from Potiphar's wife. His brethren hated him, so they sold him into slavery. And you know that he was favored. And how that uh, Potiphar 
uh, took him into his home and gave him such great honor and privilege and used him in a mighty way. And God was with him and God was blessing him. And then Potiphar's wife, uh, of course, turned against him and tempted him and tried to get him in sin. And he resisted and refused, but he ended up in prison. You know what a sad thing when a young man who knew that God had a plan for his life, who had shared with his brethren the dreams that God had given him and how that God was going to use him to be a great deliverer for his people, how that they hated and resented him. And you know, on that journey, he went as his brethren sold him into slavery and then he goes into prison for uh, a crime that he did not commit. And even while he's there, there's the testing because of the forgetful butler. You remember the dream in the prison and two guys had a dream and he told them the interpretation and, and Joseph just asked one thing, remember me when you get out of here. And oh, we'll do that. And time marched by and he was forgotten. But you know, God's timing is always perfect. You know that there was a famine in the land as a result of that. We see, of course, that uh, the testing came, but uh, even though he was forgotten, God didn't forget him. And all of a sudden, he gets invited to come and answer the dream and, uh, of, the, of Pharaoh. And as a result of that, we see the triumphant blessing as he is now over all of Pharaoh's house. In Genesis 41 and verse 40, he said, Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. What an, what an opportunity God gave him. And we know what happens. Eventually there is a famine in the land. Joseph had prepared them for that time that would come. Had them store the grain ahead of time so that when the famine came, there would be seven years of plenty. And then there would be the seven years of famine. And in that preparation that he led them into, it resulted in having that which would be available to literally save the world. And so when that took place, eventually Joseph's father sent his brethren to Egypt to buy corn to try to get some help. And when they got there, they didn't recognize Joseph, but he recognized them. Now some people have said, well, Joseph taunted and teased with them. I, I don't know that. Some said he was getting even with them. I believe God was using every step of what was going on here to not only uh, prepare them for what was going to happen, but especially for Joseph in revealing himself to his brethren for the timing to be right because I believe he was letting God work in their hearts and lives and bring conviction to them for the evil that they had done. Let's pick up reading in Genesis 45. He's now revealed himself to his brethren. He said, I'm Joseph. And boy, they were shocked. They were overwhelmed. They thought, oh no, here it comes. He's going to kill us. He's going to get even with us. But instead, he doesn't treat them like that. They're amazed. And he says in verse 24, So he sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that ye fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, uh, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Verse 28, And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see, see him before I die. 
So we find three things that I want to point out in relationship to Joseph and his brethren that take place here. If you would allow me tonight uh, maybe to make a little bit of comparison to your life and mine concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, Joseph is one of the greatest types of Christ in the Old Testament. He has so many areas of his life that are a good representative or a picture or a portrait. You know, much of the Old Testament does that for us. It is the shadow and Christ is the substance. It is the portrait and Christ is the person. And Joseph is one of those types, one of those shadows, one of those uh, portraits of Christ in the Old Testament. And so we notice three things when Joseph's brethren recognize who he is. Number one, we notice the miracle that they witnessed. The first thing they discovered is Joseph is alive. What an amazing thing. Here his brethren had sold him into slavery. And you know, they went home and told his father that he was dead. They killed that animal, put blood on his coat, took it back and said, your, your son is dead. Now by the way, as far as, as far as his dad was concerned, he was dead. And uh, so as they uh, get there and they finally find out who he is, they recognize Joseph is alive. You understand tonight, you and I that are saved by the grace of God, we understand what most of the world doesn't understand tonight. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He's living whatever men may say. Someone says, Brother Graham, how do you know He's alive? Well, I know He's alive because of the empty tomb. I know He's alive because of the eyewitnesses that saw Him in His resurrected body. I know that He's alive because of the evidence of lives that He's changed time and time again throughout all of these hundreds and hundreds of years. But I know He's alive because of the experience of meeting Him personally. I'm telling you, we serve a risen Savior. They discovered Joseph was alive and our heavenly Joseph is alive. Thank God we serve a risen Savior. But not only did they find out Joseph is alive, interestingly enough, they found out Joseph isn't angry. When they found out they were in front of Joseph, fear gripped their heart. Oh no, he's going to retaliate. He's going to get even with us. He's going to let us have it. And by the way, they deserved whatever he would give them. But Joseph said, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. To save, as it were, this day, much people alive. Can I just remind you, Joseph wasn't angry with them. The truth of the matter is, God has every right, dear friend, to wipe out all of humanity. What a wicked, vile world we have. And each and every one of us recognize that but for the grace of God, we deserve to spend eternity in hell. But aren't you glad that we have a God who is willing to extend forgiveness, not because we deserve it, but because He is a gracious, forgiving God. I witnessed to a man many years ago. He was uh, getting up in years, and when I shared the gospel with him, he said to me, Brother Graham, I've never heard this before. Why didn't anybody ever tell me this? And then he said this, I've lived such a wicked and ungodly life. It wouldn't be fair to ask God to save me now. I don't have anything left to give him. I won't be living much longer. I said, you don't understand God loves you and He wants to save you. 
I pled with that man to get saved, but he never gave his heart to Christ as far as I know. Went out into eternity thinking that it would be unfair. But I want to tell you tonight, it is from a human standpoint very clearly unfair that God would save any of us. We don't deserve it. God didn't save you because you were a good little Sunday school boy or you were a good little girl. God didn't save you because of who your parents were. God didn't save you because you know of any work that you've done. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God not of works lest any man should boast they found out Joseph wasn't angry but then they found out Joseph had all the authority to meet their needs it's interesting remember his dream when he told them one day he would see them all bowing before him well that really ticked them off Really made them mad. Who does he think he is? <laughs> We're going to bow in front. Even, even his dad said, you know, that seems a little strong, buddy. You mean me and your mother, all of us? Well, that's what the dream said. Now here they are. They've bowed already in his presence and will again. But I want to tell you something, dear friend. You and I realize that our God has all authority. And Jesus Christ, that His name, the Bible said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. One of these days, you know, the world is going to bow before Him and acknowledge He is who He claimed to be. Aren't you glad if you're saved tonight? You've already acknowledged Him as your Savior. You've already accepted Him as your Lord. And you can say throughout eternity, what a blessing it is that I settled it this side of eternity. But I'm telling you, every knee will bow. Why? Because He has all authority. Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He has all authority. But something else that's interesting, Joseph gave to his brethren as they witnessed the miracle of seeing him alive. Joseph told his brethren, go get your family, your children, your grandchildren. By now, the family has expanded. The numbers have increased. In fact, as Joseph says, bring everybody that you can. They're all welcome. In other words, Joseph is asking for you. I've tried to imagine in my mind what it was like after Joseph's brethren sold him into slavery. I wonder how many times, preacher, that at night maybe the guilt and the shame and the remorse as they saw how it broke their father's heart. I wonder if in the quietness of their tents, maybe each one, one by one, had said to their wife, and not to anybody else perhaps, but maybe to their wife, maybe whispered to them one night, you're not going to believe what we really did. Don't ever tell anybody. Joseph really wasn't killed by a wild animal. We sold him into slavery. And he probably is dead. And boy, it's our fault. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of remorse. But can you imagine as he sends them home and says, go tell them they're all welcome to come. Joseph wants you. If you're not saved tonight, I want you to know our heavenly Joseph wants you. Jesus wants to give you everlasting life. You say, Brother Graham, you don't know how bad I am. You don't know how rotten I am. You don't know how lost I am. Can I tell you something? He loved you so much that He went to the cross of Calvary, died on your behalf, and He's willing that you would be saved. The Bible said He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see the miracle that they witnessed. But notice, secondly, the message to the workers. He's going to send them home to get their father, to get their family, to gather everything and come back and be with him. And he said, now I've got a message for you workers while you're on your journey. Don't fall out by the way. 
Joseph said it's a little bit of a journey from here to where the family's at. And folks, listen, we're on a great journey. We're headed to a place called heaven. But don't fall out by the wayside. Don't fall out of church. Don't fall out of the will of God. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. No, a thousand times no. You're a part of God's family. If you've truly been saved, you're forever saved. But you know, there's a lot of folks that have gotten discouraged and defeated as a result of that. They've fallen out by the way. Remember who it was that sent you. Joseph said, as you're going on your way back and maybe you're going to run into a problem. Maybe there'll be a challenge. Maybe you'll uh, find some uh, issues along the way. Maybe you'll encounter some enemy as you head back. I want to tell you as you go, don't ever forget who you're being sent by. Remember who it was that sent you. And I want you to understand tonight, folks, we have been sent by Almighty God to serve Him and to live for Him and to honor the One that loved us and gave Himself for us. Remember who sent you. And realize what He supplied for your journey. Joseph said, now, before you go, I want to give you everything that you need. To get there and get back. Paul said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I know that's a conditional verse that was based upon the giving of the people. But I want to tell you something. Our God is faithful to supply for this journey. You know, the wagons were a reminder of some things about Joseph. It was a reminder of his purpose. You see, he said, go tell them the good news. And by the way, God has put us on a journey. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a missionary, evangelist. You say, well, Brother Graham, I'm not in full-time ministry, but if you're a child of God, you've been commanded to be a witness for the Lord. And we can't forget what it's all about. Listen, it's not just about trying to impress people with how we live. More importantly, it is to point them to the one that gives us the reason to live this Christian life. Go tell the good news. Let everybody know we really do serve a risen Savior. Wanted them to know not only His purpose, what about his provisions? He said, I'm going to give you everything you need. So they got the wagon and laid it out. That's interesting. Uh, as he sent them to the Father, he gave them all of these benefits here in verse 23. All of the animals and all of the corn and all of the bread and all the meat for their journey as they would go and come back. God supplied their need. I, I think about the time when, uh, when the, the unnamed servant was sent out to get a bride for Isaac and said, I want you to go get the bride and bring her back. And, and so the servant went out and a good picture of the Holy Spirit going out to woo a bride and we don't know his name. I I think it was Eliezer, but we don't know that because he's unnamed in that chapter. But as they're coming back, he's taken ten camels that are loaded down. Someone called those the camels of grace. And everything that she needed between here and there was provided for her. Listen, uh, my preacher friend, Brother Jack Parchman, used to say, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He may only trust me with one hamburger at a time, but he's going to take care of me. Listen, folks, God has not forsaken us. What a crazy time we've been through this last year and a half. You know, we never in our lifetimes dreamed we would see another uh, pandemic that would go worldwide. We never thought we would experience anything like this. And uh, because we haven't lived to see that in our generation until now, there have been many people so shook up, they didn't know what to think. There have been people that have said, man, this thing must be about over. And I do think it's about over. But until it's over... God's still on the throne. We're going to be all right. He's going to take care of us. I'm just trusting in that unseen hand. We find here 
his provisions and then his place that he had prepared. He said, now go tell my father I've got a place ready for y'all. It's called Goshen. He said, when you go there, he said, I want you to understand, uh, when you get there, he said, I've got this place picked out for you called Goshen. And he said, I want you to dwell there. And I love what Joseph told them, because Goshen would be near him. And I'll tell you, there's just something about this Christian life that he is ever with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, as I mentioned last night. I can't go anywhere on my Christian journey that he's not right there with me. I'm so glad that he walks with me and talks with me and tells me that I am his own. What a blessing it is. The message to the workers is don't fall out by the wayside. Remember who sent you. Realize what is supplied for our journey. And then rejoice that there's a sweet reunion just ahead. Amen. Aren't you glad there's a better day coming? Amen. And sometimes I get to thinking about all those that have gone before us and I'm so happy. Jesus said in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Man, the disciples were shook up. He told them, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again, and I'm going to go away. I'll not leave you comfortless. I'll send another, which is the Holy Spirit. But when he told them he was going to leave them, they were shook to the core. And he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And he said, whither I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And I love this. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Aren't you glad? there's a better day coming? Aren't you glad that Jesus has promised us a home in heaven? That's not just a figment of my imagination. That is a fact according to the Word of God that He has given us everlasting life. I have a lot of questions about heaven, don't you? As my cousin Tom has progressed in his illness, he said, you know, Ken, I hope that the Lord takes me first. And he said, I said, why is that? He said, well, you know, I know in heaven that we're no longer actually married. But he said, if I get there first, I'm going to ask the Lord if Paula's mansion could be right next door to mine. But he said, if she gets there first, she's going to say, Lord, put him on the other side of heaven, please. And we kind of joke about it and he'll, he'll make comments about it. But, but the reality is, there's not a conversation him and I have that he doesn't remind me. I know it's getting close. There's a better day coming. There's a better place ahead. I'm glad that it's real. Listen, folks, I'm, you say, well, Brother Graham, I hope it works out for you. No, no, I know it will because I've got God's word on it. I believe what the Bible said about a place called heaven. What a sweet read. Now, I've got a lot of questions about heaven. I don't know everything about it. It's beyond my finite mind. I don't fully comprehend it. Down here, we have limited uh, bodies. Uh, we have to sleep. How many of you enjoy sleep every now and then? You've got to do that. It's part of the way you've been structured. But the truth of the matter is we're going to, one of these days, have a glorified body. There won't be any aches or pains. Now, you know, I would not have thought about that when I was as young as some of you sitting in here tonight. But now that I'm at the age that I'm at, aches and pains are reality. Every day when I get up, I'm reminded this body's Getting feeble, it suffers grief and pain. It feels the summer's heat and the winter's chilling rain. But oh, thank God, 
Someday things will be different. I'm going to lay this old body down. What a joy it's going to be when we have that glorified body and we are in His presence for all eternity. Somebody said, well, Brother Graham, I need to know more about it. Well, the Bible said this, uh, you know, that there's some things that we know. Beloved now. Don't you love that phrase, beloved now? Are we the sons of God? So if you're saved tonight, you're a child of God. I know that for a fact. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, I don't know everything that's on the other side. But when we shall see Him, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So if I know that I'm His, and I know that one of these days I'm going to leave here, but when I get there, I'll be like Him, I'll be transformed into His uh, image. What a, what a joy that is. That's enough to rest all eternity on. I'm excited about a place called heaven. Now listen, folks, God designed us in a unique way. You know, God designed your body to want to live. That's why suicide is never the will of God for your life. Now, I'm not preaching about that tonight, but somebody here might think, well, everybody would be better off if I was gone. That's not true. And, and I want to say this kindly, but suicide is the most selfish act a person can ever commit because they're not thinking about anyone but themselves. I was preaching one night and said something about suicide. A young man came up to me and said, Brother Graham, my dad committed suicide. He was a farmer and, and uh, the crops failed and financially he was bankrupt and, and he knew everything was going to go downhill and, and he said he took his life and he said, you know, uh, less than a year later, my mother died of cancer. He said, I've often wondered. He said, because we were young, my sister and I got placed in foster care. She went to one home. I went to another home. And he said, I didn't get to see my sister again until after uh, I was an adult. And he said, then we got reunited. And he said, to God be the glory. My sister and I are both members of the church uh, right here where I was preaching at. But here's what he said to me. I've often wondered if my dad had known that six months later my mother was going to die and leave us without a parent, if he would have reconsidered his decision. And I want to tell you something, folks. That's not the answer. You say, well, Brother Grandma, you said you're ready to go to heaven. I am. But I want to fulfill everything God has planned for my life. But when it's time, when that time comes that He calls me home, I'm glad to know there's a real place called heaven. And I'm rejoicing. Don't, don't fall out by the way and forget what's ahead of you. Hey, there's a better day coming. Then big number three, the mandate for the way. And I'll say it again, don't fall out by the way. You know what's interesting? Between the time they left Joseph to go get Jacob and all the family, until they returned again, there's no way to know what they would encounter. But I assure you, there had to be some challenges. There had to be some issues. And if you are honest tonight, sooner or later, you're going to face some battles, some challenges, some things along life's journey. Um, attacks are going to come. Listen, we've got some real enemies out there, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're going to pounce at you everywhere they can. You know, there's a lot of people tonight that are battling doubt. They... They may doubt their salvation. And by the way, if you're saved, God doesn't want you to live in the arena of doubt. But many people are being attacked by doubt. Maybe on the way home, Joseph's brethren begin to have doubts creep in. I wonder if Joseph really wants us back or if he's just going to get all, all of our family there and then kill all of us, including our wives and our, our children. I wonder what Joseph... And doubts can come to attack you. Now, you may not doubt your salvation tonight, but there's some folks in here, maybe you're doubting the Scriptures. Oh, I don't mean you don't believe the Word of God. 
If I said, how many of you believe the Bible is the Word of God? I think everybody in here would raise their hand. But you doubt whether it will work for you. I know God will do it for the preacher, and I know he'll do it for the deacon. I'll know he'll do it for the Sunday school teacher. I know he did it for Peter and James and all them, but I don't know if he'll do it for me. And sometimes people may not doubt their salvation or the scriptures, but their own significance. Well, God could never use me. I want to tell you something. God has a plan for every life in here. Don't you let the devil rob you of that. You may face the attack of doubt. You may face the attack of discouragement. Hey, listen, if you live long enough, something's going to come along uh, to cause you to get discouraged. And and what, what Joseph is saying is don't get discouraged by the way. Our second son started a church five years ago. This uh, Two weeks from now, they'll celebrate their fifth anniversary. And I don't mind to tell you that that was an exciting adventure for him. But you know, man, you get all these ideals and excitements about starting a new work. And you know, you, know, you get plans. And, and uh, boy, he said, Dad, there were times and it was just us. And that can be discouraging. But you know, stick by the stuff. God began to add to the number, and God began to grow. And, you know, for a long time, they were in a storefront. One preacher told him, said, if, you know, if you start in a storefront and stay in a storefront, you won't be able to have a church in two years. Well, you know, you, you're going to have naysayers. But if you find the will of God for your life, pursue it with all your heart and mind. And so I'm excited. They're going to have their fifth anniversary. And by the way, God's given them a building, and that, that's exciting to see what God's doing. And, and there's more yet to be done. But it's challenging. And listen, you may get discouraged sometimes. Maybe you've you know, decided to break a bad habit in your life and the devil maybe has tripped you up or maybe you've decided that you're going to get more faithful reading your Bible and all of a sudden you find that you get distracted and you're not doing what you had committed to do. Listen, uh, don't beat yourself up over yesterday's failures. Get right with God and then go forward by the grace of God. You might be attacked because of some difficulties that come. There may be some disagreements that you'll be attacked with along the way. And sometimes it hurts. Maybe somebody that once stood with you shoulder to shoulder has all of a sudden changed their mind and said, it's not worth the fight. I'm not going to stand where I used to stand. Listen, there's folks that I love dearly that have changed their mind. But I want to tell you something. What God gave me, I'm not changing my mind about. When I, I started preaching, actually when I was 13, and started preaching a few revivals. By the time I was 14, 15, things started opening up for me to preach. When I was 16, I made a decision. I was saved. I was serving the Lord, trying to read my Bible, trying to learn everything I could. But I said, I'm going to get in the Scripture, and I'm going to ask God to show me. You know, it's one thing to know what my dad believes, and my mother believes, and my church believes. But I want to know what this book says. So at 16, I took the Bible and I said, God, I'm going to read it and I want you to show me some things. I want you to help me, not just to do it because this preacher said it or that preacher said it, but God, I want you to give it to me. By the way, God has given me some very clear convictions in my life and then He's allowed me to set some standards in my life to hold to those convictions. Not everybody agrees with me and that's all right. But what God showed me when I was 16, He's added a lot to it since then, Brother Smith. But he never took the eraser out one time and said, you know, back then when I told you this, I've changed my mind. And until he puts the eraser on it and says, no, I didn't mean for you to do that. I didn't mean for you to stand for that. I didn't mean for you to... Listen, I settled it when I was a a teenager that this Bible is the Word of God. Settled that in my heart. 
And folks can attack it and they can malign it. And by the way, there are some people that try to defend it and I think sometimes get caught in snares and traps because they try to, they try to outsmart God with their defense. Listen, this book will defend itself. And I think we need to defend it. Don't misunderstand me and stand for it. But I believe this Bible. Listen, you can tell me anything you want to. I'm not going to change my mind. I've got the Word of God. God said it. And by the way, I not only believe that God gave us His Word and His inspired Word of God, but He promised that He would preserve it from this day forward. If God didn't preserve His Word, then He lied. And God doesn't lie. And I believe with all my heart I have the inspired inerrant, infallible, perfectly preserved Word of God. And I'm grateful for that. And there are many other things that God gave me as a teenage boy that said this is the way it is and I just believe it. And yes, yes, I've, I certainly have grown and matured and added much to it, but God's never one time said, hey, listen, I don't want you to be serious about those things anymore. I, I just want to say to you, listen, there's going to be some disagreements along the way. Now stay Christ-like as you have to deal with disagreements. But don't let it cause you to fall out by the way. Then the attacks of disobedience. You know, Satan would love to get us out of the will of God. Nothing would have thrilled him more than for Joseph's brethren to leave and say, hey, I'm not going to risk going back. Let's take what we've got and try to live off of that and never go back. No, no, the devil tried to get you to disobey God. Satan would love nothing more than to get us sidetracked and get away from our responsibility of letting everyone know the good news that our heavenly Joseph is alive and that we want to serve him with all our heart, mind, and soul. But I've got good news for you today. The devil's a liar, but we're on the winning side. So I'm going to keep on keeping on. And I want to encourage you, church, keep on keeping on. Let's keep on witnessing for the Lord. Let's keep on serving our Savior. Let's keep on telling people the good news that our heavenly Joseph is alive. And by the way, if he's alive, mom and dad, let it show in your life. Let it show in your home. Let it show at work. Let it show everywhere you go. What a difference we can make in a crazy mixed up world if we'll just proclaim the message. Our heavenly Joseph is alive. Jesus lives and wants to make a difference in hearts and lives. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. It must have been an exciting day for Joseph's brethren. But even more so down the road when they got affirmation that Joseph had nothing but the best in mind for them. And listen, God wants to be everything to you that He promised to be if we'll let Him. He's faithful. I may not understand all the ways of God, but I trust God. I trust the potter's hand. Preacher, why does bad things happen to good people? Well, I know that the Bible said it rains on the just and the unjust alike. I don't know all the reasons, but I know this. I trust the potter's hand. And I know that God has a plan for your life. I want to ask you tonight, how many would say, Brother Graham, I do know for sure that I'm saved. And you'll lift your hand again and give testimony. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus lives in my heart. Thank you. You may put him down. Again, I wouldn't embarrass you for anything in this world. But if there's someone here tonight, you don't know that for sure. Would you let me pray for you? My prayers are not going to save you. But as a friend, I'd like to pray for you and say, Brother Graham, I don't know for sure if I died today. I'm not 100% sure I'd be in heaven, but I'd like to know it. You'd slip a hand up and say, remember me in prayer. Would there be one like that? Man, woman, boy, or girl, thank you. Is there someone else? I don't know for sure, but I'd like to know. Is there someone else? I don't know for sure. Thank you. Is there someone else? Anyone else before I pray? Thank you. 
me put it down. I wonder, in, in just a moment, we'll have a song of invitation playing. If you lifted your hand and you'd like to get that settled, you come and meet us here in the altar and let somebody deal with you according to the Word of God. I wonder how many would say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but God spoke to my heart tonight. Or maybe one other message during the meeting. And you just say, Preacher, please include me in the prayer tonight that God would truly work in my life that which He is trying to do. There's a number of hands. Are there others? Are there others? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just have His perfect will and way in every heart and life. Lord, these that lifted their hand about salvation, Lord, you know their heart and you know their need. And I pray for those across the auditorium that lifted their hand. Lord, it's been so, so easy to preach here. And I mean that in the right way. You've given us liberty and the people have listened intently and I thank you for that. But Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work in this invitation in such a way that we'd give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name.